Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, happy Easter. God bless you today. This is the most important celebration in the Christian calendar, as you will see today. We celebrate the point at which all of history changed directions. But uh, let's start off with prayer. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for the wonders of this day, of the fact that we celebrate the fact that you, God, walked the earth, that you lived for us, that you loved us, that you opened heaven to us. In the end, you died at our hands. And yet, you rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, and set us free to new life. Jesus, plant that new life in us today. May we live holy for you and holy for your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let's read that story of what happened 2,000 years ago on this day in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, at verse 1. On the first day of the week, now this is Sunday because Saturday was their Sabbath day. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath day. So Jesus was crucified on Friday. On Saturday, nobody did anything. Sunday, first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. This was an ancient form of uh, body preservation. We know, you know, the Egyptians practiced mummification. This was an ancient form of preservation, and it was meant to be honorific, that they treated the body with spices. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Eleven, because Judas is now gone. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, pay attention to this. They were telling the truth of what they knew as first-person witnesses. You really don't get better evidence than that. And the listeners still thought it was nonsense. A couple of Easter reflections here. Number one, realize that you may be thinking that you are completely rational and using common sense. And someone else feels and seems nonsensical to you. And yet, it may turn out that they are right and you are wrong. At exactly the point at which we are trying to be most rational, where we feel like we are using common sense and someone else is speaking nonsense, it may turn out that they are right and you are wrong. So if you have held a a, a longstanding prejudice against matters of faith, against the existence of God, against the promises of the scripture, if you have for a long time insisted that it all seems like nonsense to you, 
take a deep breath, there may be moments at which we find out that that which we wrote off as nonsense turns out to be true. Secondly, realize that there is a spiritual component to knowledge. There is a spiritual component to knowing things. Because when humanity rejected God, when we, when we sinned and turned away from God, all of creation was broken by that rejection. Our hearts are broken. Our wills are broken. And our minds are broken. There's a, a spiritual component of knowledge and we can be blinded to the truth even when we think we're being rational because sin has damaged even our capabilities of reasoning. Okay, verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He went to check for himself, to confirm with evidence. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. These would have been the burial clothes of Jesus. And he went away, wondering, wondering to himself what had happened. Uh, and they would soon find out what happened because they would see multiple appearances of Jesus, sometime among crowds, appearing to as many as 500 of them. And thus began the Christian movement. Those who had gathered to follow, the one who had command over sickness and health, over life and death, over sin and redemption. That began the Christian movement that comes to us today. This is the story of the gospel. This is the whole big picture of the Bible. This is the heart of the Christian message. God created the world with purpose and intention and meaning and love. He designed you. He had you in mind when he built it all. You're not an accident. You're not just a face in the crowd to him. He made you. And yet, you and I and everyone else individually and corporately have rejected God. We've all told God, I want life on my terms, not on yours. I want to do it myself, not your way. And as a result, God has partially honored that request and let us have the world on our terms. And from that has emerged all the brokenness of the world. All the sin and violence and warfare and strife, the, the brokenness of nature itself, all of that is a rupture that came from us rejecting the creator and sustainer of life. But God, God chose a people to whom to reveal himself, to say, I still want to redeem my lost children. And if you'll, if you'll live for me, I will live among you. So he gave us his law. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments on the mountaintop. He said, live by these principles. And when you fail to, uh, I put in place a sacrificial system in which because you have rejected the creator of life, the consequence should be death. But you may now go and sacrifice in your temple an animal that will die in your place. The, the payment of death can be paid by a substitute by an animal that you sacrifice in your place. And this became sort of a graphic object lesson to the Jewish people of the consequences of sin. When they, when they broke faith with the creator and sustainer of life, the consequence should be death. And they would sacrifice animals on the altar, which captured this, this horrific separation. Why did God do it that way? 
Why did God create the laws of physics? Why did things go towards the ground instead of floating up in the sky? God created the laws of nature the way he did. And there are spiritual laws that God has created, some of which I suspect have yet to be discovered, just like the laws of physics. He created the world the way he did without explanation for us. But that is the way it was established. If you want to follow the law on your terms, do it perfectly. And if not, you owe sacrifice in its place. You, know, you owe death to substitute in, the pl- in your place for rejecting the creator of life. Well, that system failed again and again. It only went to show how bad we were at obeying the law. And so God sent prophets into the world to call us to be faithful, to insist that we return to God, that we love Him again, that we be obedient to Him again. And 201, we rejected the prophets, we threw them out, we killed them. And so in the fullness of time, God came to the earth Himself and walked the earth in the flesh. Jesus of Nazareth, God and man. He lived a sinless life, a righteous life with an unbroken connection to God our Father. God in the flesh was the only one to never bring the brokenness of sin into the world. And so at the end of his life, as he went to the cross, Jesus became that perfect atoning sacrifice for us. The one who died in our place. The one whose death takes away all of our guilt for having rejected the creator of life. His death is the death that we deserve. But because he died, we can now live. And then three days later, Jesus arose on Easter morning. The stone was rolled away. And he stepped out to new and eternal life. And you and I are invited with him to step out of the tomb of our sin and brokenness and into life with him, into lives lived in love and grace and forgiveness and justice and generosity. You and I are invited to life because of Easter. And that is the story of Easter. That is the heart of the Christian message. This is what it's all about. You and I can be forgiven and have real life now and eternal life to come because of what Jesus did on the cross and on Easter morning. Now, understand how important this is. As I look at the world, I I think we basically have three choices to make. We get one of three choices. One, we can look at the world and say there really is nothing good in the world at all. This is sort of the nihilist position. Uh, And there are people who really live this way and think this way. There are philosophers who have written this way. The, The idea is that life is an accident. It is all just a mistake. And you can take wonder at the science and the creativity of it. But we came from mud and to the mud we're going to return. The universe exploded into existence billions of years ago by some mystery. And eventually it'll die a, a heat death and everything will be ice cold and gone. No one will be around to remember it. There will be no history books. There will be nothing that established that we were here. And in the meantime, all the value that we create, all the ethical goodness that we assert, it's all just kind of a game. It's all fabrication. We do it to sort of make life more livable, but it doesn't mean anything. Back in uh, 2006, there was a professor at New York University named Sharon Street 
And she wrote a famous little essay now about what the reality of evolution does to morality, about where morality lands after evolution. And she says, now look, if we're just evolving to survive, if that's it, you never know at the end of the day whether your moral instincts are right or if they're just survival instincts. In fact, you can never know for sure that they're accurate, that your perception of the world is, is, is really correct. Because if your brain is just one more thing that evolved to survive, it could be giving you false information that helps you live longer. Right? Our, our evolutionary roots without God just leave us with morality that's kind of a joke. And some people really believe that. Some people really live like that. Like there, there is actually no objective good in the world. But then you watch the news and you see the, the Russian army storming into Ukraine and killing innocent civilians. And you feel the tug of moral facts. At that point, you really want for there to be goodness and righteousness and justice in the world. You don't want it to be a, a game or a social contract or something we just decided upon. You really want there to be moral right in the world. But if there is no God, I don't think you get that. If there is no God, there is no good. And that is one option. There's a sec second option for what this world is and how it functions. The second option is that maybe there's a God out there, and what that God is about is us behaving. And then what we need to do in this life is bring about good ourselves. We need to make ourselves good and hold other people accountable to be being good. And that is called religion. And it is a contrast to Christianity. It is a contrast to the gospel, but it's a real option out there, a real living option that, that what we need to do in this world, in this life, is to, to live right, to be obedient, to, to do what we're supposed to do. And, and this is the way not just other religions out there in the world function, but a lot of Christians function this way too. Be, because we miss the transition that happened between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. See, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you have Moses. And Moses was given the law by God. Moses was given the Ten Commandments up on the, tab, uh, up on the mountain and hundreds of other commandments as well. And Moses then went through a transition. Um, Moses was named uh, because when Pharaoh's daughter found him floating in a basket on the river, he, she lifted Moses out of the, the water. And the Hebrew word for drew out sounds like uh, Moshe, sounds like Moses. And so she named him the, the drawn out one. I'm the one I'm, the one I'm drawing out of the water. And Moses would then go and draw God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. Not by his own power, but by God's guidance. Moses is the one who would draw them out. It was actually Joshua who would lead them in. Joshua would lead them into their promised land, their homeland, their nation, the place where they would live as citizens in a good kingdom. It was actually Joshua that, that delivered them and sealed the promise. Well, something similar happens in the New Testament in the story of Jesus. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, emerges preaching righteousness and obedience to the law. Stop sinning and live right. John is a Moses figure, a bearer of the law. 
But John himself acknowledged, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the last one. There's someone more powerful than me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And whereas I baptize you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, whose Hebrew name was Joshua, who's named after the, the deliverer in the Hebrew scriptures, he is the one who would lead people in to the promised land, to a place where they were not governed by law and religiosity, but governed by grace and the Holy Spirit. There's a a huge transition that happens in the life of Jesus from religiosity to faith. And religion is to faith as water is to wine. Jesus came to invite us to something new and different and more powerful. See, there is an option that we just try to bring about good in the world by being religious and righteous and obeying God's law. All that will leave us is failed. We, like the Hebrew people who tried to follow the laws of God for centuries, will only find in the end that the law humbles us and proves we can't do it. I think what most of us want is the third option. And the third option is this. It's not that there's no goodness in the world. It's not that we have to bring about goodness in the world. It's that goodness is given to us as a gift. And that's the righteousness that comes from the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, when he dies, he takes our sins away from us. And when he rises, he gives us new life. When we believe in him, we invite the Holy Spirit in, and the Holy Spirit gives us a kind of goodness or righteousness that we couldn't do in our own. It is it is as separate from us as a, a Christmas present that's handed to us, like a, a sweater that we put on that was outside of us and now is inside of us. We didn't earn it. We didn't bring it about by our own power. It's sheerly a gift. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you and I on this Easter morning. Jesus wants to give us a kind of goodness that we could not bring about on our own. A kind of goodness that would not exist in the world if he were not God. What, what Jesus wants to do for us is, is kind of like this. Imagine a kid uh, who belongs to a huge family, lots of brothers, sisters, uh, and he's the youngest one, so he's the favorite. And as a consequence, he's lazy and spoiled and arrogant. He goes around bragging to his brothers all the time about how he's the favorite and how he doesn't have to do much because dad's going to like him best anyway. He's a spoiled egomaniac. And his brothers finally gang up on him and beat him up and sell him to the circus passing through town. And a devious circus owner takes him up and drags him off with the circus to perform and to work as a laborer. They end up in another country where this kid doesn't even speak the language. And in this other country, the ringmaster's wife makes a go at him. And when he rejects her, she accuses him of trying to attack her. So this, this poor kid, betrayed by his family, is thrown into prison. He's arrested for a crime he didn't commit. I mean, he didn't have a good character in the first place, but he didn't do what he's accused of, and now he ends up in prison. He's got nothing. He's lost his family. He's lost his identity. He's lost his home. He's lost whatever righteousness he could have claimed for himself. He's now guilty of things that he did and guilty of things that he did not do. 
But in this place in prison, God begins to use him in ways that he could not muster on his own. He begins to interpret the dreams of the other prisoners and speak God's word to them. And they recognize that something unique is going on inside of him. And so at some point along the way, one of the prisoners passes him passes his name along to a, a jailer. And the jailer passes his name along to a lieutenant, lieutenant governor. And he comes to serve in the state. And he is rapidly advanced and promoted to the ranks until he becomes second to the, to the president, second to the king. Now, now, that story is actually in the Bible. It's a story of a guy named Joseph. But it captures what Jesus does for you and I. You and I are not stuck in a world that is meaningless and without goodness. Nor are we stuck in a world where we have to prove ourselves and earn our own way. We are like Joseph, who have misused the gifts that we were given and consequently turned against one another. We have been sold into slavery and lost from our home. The, the brokenness of this world will heap on us guilt for what we did and guilt for what we did not do. It leaves none of us unscathed. But when we have nothing, when we are at life's bottom, Jesus reaches down to empower us with gifts we could not bring about on our own. And he advances us past the obstacles that this world will throw at us that we by our own power could not pass, surpass. He sets us free from the things that hold us down to give us new life in him. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you and I today. Jesus wants to bring us to a place where we are ready to stand in front of the throne of God, where God will say to us, this one is mine. I freed this one. I saved this one. I set them free to new life. And this one is good. I'm proud of this one. So that puts us in a place on this Easter morning where we have to make a decision. Do we believe that this is a world without meaning and without goodness where you make a go of it, you entertain yourself, you do whatever seems right to you, but in the end, it's all for nothing? Or do, do we live in a world of religiosity and forced righteousness, of judgment, where we do our best to behave or to have the appearance of behavior? Or do we surrender? to the good news of the gospel that when we were broken and lost, Jesus saved us. He died for us. He rose again. And now we invite him to put his Holy Spirit in our hearts to empower us with a kind of goodness we could not bring about on our own and to advance us past the obstacles that this world would put in front of us. To live a true life of freedom and grace and generosity. Because the God who loves us has saved us and given us everything we need. That's the decision that you have to make on Easter morning. Which is it? Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for not leaving us alone in an empty world 
to wonder at where we came from and where we're going. Thank you for rescuing us from legalism and religiosity. Thanks for rescuing us from having to prove ourselves only to end up failures. Jesus, thank you for your cross where you died in our place and paid for us. Thank you for setting us free to new life. We invite you in. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to do what you have called us to do. And may we live real life in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la 